Adam's Archive. Hello, you beautiful people, and welcome to the Adam's Archive. My name is Austin Adams, and thank you so much for listening today. On today's episode, we are going to be discussing what some people are calling the silent depression, which I found to be a really interesting conversation about today's economic situation and how a lot of people are feeling a lot of angst around their finances, a lot of angst around our economy, a lot of angst about the, the amount of national debt that we have and the way that we're living our lives today. So we will jump into that. And this just absolutely blew my mind. It, it's crazy. And when then you tell anybody about this, it, it'll have the same effect. It's, it's so crazy. Then we will jump into the next one, which is that Larry Sinclair, uh, Tucker Carlson had somebody named Larry Sinclair on his podcast and it will be releasing the same day that this is releasing. He will be releasing a podcast, which is a full interview with somebody who claims that they had sexual relationships with Barack Obama and did cocaine with him back in 1999. Now, that wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world, right? People do cocaine. But what's crazy about this is that this is not a woman. This is a man. Hmm. And to have enough merit to where Tucker Carlson is actually having you on his show on an interview is pretty crazy. So we'll discuss that and the clip that Tucker Carlson dropped about this. Now, this isn't extremely new. I believe we've actually even talked about this before. But just the fact that Tucker Carlson had him on his show to discuss this is pretty crazy. So we'll look at that video together. Then we will talk about how Peter Ducey made Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, look absolutely silly when talking about a excerpt from a book that came out about Joe Biden's own claim. And then last but not least, we will discuss the people that have been indicted and then found guilty from January 6th in what seems to be a witch hunt. Like, absolutely making an example of these people you know the the four people that i have up on this article were proud boys and they've just absolutely gone to extreme lengths to make sure that they set an example of these people and it seems quite crazy because the one who's gotten the most time out of this was not even there during january 6th was not even there wasn't in the wasn't didn't go into the capitol none of it all right, so all of that and more, stick around. First thing I need you to do is go ahead and hit that subscribe button, leave a five-star review. Again, that's the only thing that you can do to give back to me right at this moment. Just take the time out. Take five seconds if you could. I, again, I appreciate it a lot. It's, it's, uh, I've gotten quite a bit of reviews from this more recently, and I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. It really does help to continue motivating me, letting me know that what I'm doing, it kind of resonates with you guys. So I would appreciate it again from the bottom of my heart. Go ahead, hit the subscribe, leave a five-star review and head over to the Substack, austinadams.substack.com. Leave your email there. Anytime I have any announcements, any new podcast companions, I will be dropping them there as well. All right. So without further ado, let's jump into it. The Adams Archive. All right, so I came across a video on TikTok that absolutely blew my mind. Now, like I was saying earlier in the intro here, I feel like a lot of people are feeling the same way. You know, 70,000, like the average income today is $55,000 a year, $48,000 a year. 
well, it's actually $56,000 a year is the average income today per individual, right? And $56,000 today feels like $30,000 did just 10 years ago, it feels like, right? It's like absolute minimum that you can, you have to make that amount just to be able to find a one bedroom apartment and feed yourself. So I think a lot of people are feeling this way, you know, $100,000, a six figure income used to be what everybody strove for, right? Like if you came from, you know, a lower income family, $100,000 a year was like, you made it, you did it, you're, you're doing something really, you know, you're working hard, you found a job that that rewards you for that hard work, and you found something that, that you know, should be, that that's like, that's upper upper class, like upper middle class, let's say at least, at least with a $100,000 salary, just I don't know, like I said, 10 years ago, people were shooting for that. And so people have been feeling this, this, you know, financial angst as a result of, of what this person from this video called a silent depression. And we are living in the silent depression today. Don't, don't get it confused, right? What, what he compares in this video is that the Great Depression was what everybody looks back on and goes, I can't imagine living in the financial times of the Great Depression. But when you actually when you actually look at the numbers, the financial and economic the where we're at today as an economy is worse off at an individual level than it was during the 30s during the Great Depression. Absolutely, we are worse off today than we were during the Great Depression financially. All right, and let's let's break that down because that's a pretty crazy and wild claim and I thought so too when I heard this initially. But this is how it breaks down. In 1930, the average income was $3,900 per year. Okay, so let's let's go back. The average income in 1930 was actually $1,300 per year. I mixed up some of the numbers there. The average income, $1,300 per year. Okay, the average income today is $56,000, just like I said earlier. Okay, the reason I messed it up is because I'm looking at a graphic that's quite terrible to try to organize this thought that <laughs> came from that video. So the average income was $1,300. The average income today is $5,600, right? We're comparing 1930 to 19 or to 2023. Now in 1930, the average house was $3,900. The average house today is $436,000. So in 1930, it took you three years of a full-time income being saved in order to purchase a home at $3,900. Now, today, it takes you eight years, more than double the time that it would have taken you during the 30s to buy the average home, okay? Now, the next thing is the average car. The average car in 1930 cost $600. The average car today costs $48,000. Or $48, now, back in 1930, that was 46% of your income. Today, that is 85% of your income. The average rent was just $216 per year, 16% of your income. And the average rent today is $24,000 per year or $2,000 a month. So when you look at it that way, when you just break down the numbers to live the standard life in 1930, you come to find out that the silent depression is real just to make the 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 average income and to save for the average house to buy the average car to rent the average house costs three three times almost in every single category eight times 
your your yearly income when it comes to a house three times in 1930. So so what we're seeing here is a trend that you know what one thing you could correlate this with too that that takes away some of the the craziness of the statistics is the 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 average the the way that we live today the standard of living has absolutely gone up since 1930 so that that's a fair critique of this this percentages and in, in, in these finances that, that you're looking at here because the house that you were buying as the average house being thirty nine hundred dollars back in 1930 was definitely not the four hundred and thirty six thousand dollar houses that people are purchasing today the average car that was six hundred dollars is absolutely not you know the the 2023 Ford escape that you're buying today right the 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 standard of living has absolutely gone up but with the standard of living going up the the difficulty to maintain that appearance right how many people in 1930 do you think were in debt compared to how many people were in debt today we live on a debt based society nobody nobody is is saving up 8 years of their full salary to purchase a home at $436,000 right so so i think that's a more a more valid conversation here is that the the amount of debt we live in a debt based society today the person who was buying their car for $600 in the 30s was purchasing it with cash the the person who was buying a $3900 house was purchasing it likely with cash the person buying a $436000 house is not buying it with cash right so you absolutely have to live below the average standard of living in order to live at your means today and just even seeing the average income go from 1300 to 56000 is a crazy amount of inflation 56 almost 50 50 times the inflation or the the you know the the income and that's something that sounds nice until you look at the the average house cost going up by more than 10 12 times right so we live in a debt-based society an enslavement of the of the people of the families units within our society today in order to just maintain the average lifestyle you have to go into debt you have to be be a slave to the the people who are now not only taking that money and giving it to you but that you have to pay them interest over time right which again demeans your standard of living long term they profit off of that right and then you go back to the the silent weapons for quiet wars conversation right you want to bring that into this the debt was absolutely a weapon to be wielded by those elites so that they could become the gods and you could become the slave and we see that play out perfectly here in this formula that we're looking at in front of us. So I really just thought that was pretty, pretty crazy to, to see and, and have that breakdown. Now, again, the standard of living has gone up significantly. I can't imagine spending 40% of my income just on my monthly rent. How, how do you live like that? You don't. You have to live below, below that, that standard. So the next thing that we'll be discussing is that Tucker Carlson had a man on his podcast, which he's now posting on X. X being what was formerly known as Twitter. Lots of mix-ups going on in the world right now. <laughs> so Tucker Carlson had a man on his podcast named Larry Sinclair. Now, Larry Sinclair is a man that you may have heard the name of before. I've even mentioned it maybe once before on this podcast. But Larry Sinclair has said and made a statement on Tucker Carlson's podcast, which to me is a that's kind of a big deal, right? When he's just out there saying stuff into the wind, it's really not not 
not earth shattering, but when he goes on one of the biggest platforms in the world and says that not only did he meet with Barack Obama and do drugs with him, specifically cocaine, and watched him do crack, he also claims that he had sex with him twice. Now, this comes on the back of... <laughs> maybe that's not the way to phrase it, but this comes on the back of... of <laughs> <laughs> a claim recently by uh, allegedly one of, I believe it was Barack Obama's assistant or somebody, somebody came out stating that they had records of Barack Obama stating, I believe it was like maybe a former ex-girlfriend or an assistant, something, somebody like that came out and said that they had letters from Barack Obama saying that he had fantasies about men. So Larry Sinclair, just weeks after that came out, is now coming out and saying that he had sex with Barack Obama, not once, but twice, while also simultaneously doing drugs with him. And so this comes from the post-millennial. And again, you can always follow along with what I'm seeing on my screen here, right on YouTube, if you find the Adams Archive. On Tuesday, former Fox News host Tucker Carlson released a teaser for an upcoming interview with Larry Sinclair, the man who claims to have had sex with Barack Obama. Obama. Sinclair alleged that he met Obama at a Chicago bar in November of 1999, where the pair did drugs before engaging in intercourse. Here is the video. You're just a guy who's in town for the night, and it sounds like you're looking to party. Yeah. Pulled up in a bar outside, and there's this guy that's introduced to me as Barack Obama. I had given Barack $250 to pay for Coke. I start putting a line on a CD tray to snort, and next thing I know, he's got a little pipe and he's smoking. So I just started rubbing my hand along his thigh to see where it was going, and it went the direction I had intended it to go. Even though you had sex with him twice, you did cocaine with him, watched him smoke crack twice. You had no idea who he was. I had no idea who he was. Let me just ask the obvious question. What was Obama like on crack? Is it, is it your sense that that's who Obama is, just transactional, or that he's bisexual, or like, what is this? It definitely wasn't Barack's first time, and I would almost be willing to bet you it wasn't as long. The guy's running for president, and credible information comes out that he's smoking crack and having sex with dudes. That seems like a story. Well, it would be a story if the media really cared about telling people the truth. Hmm. So that comes out tomorrow, which will be today for you guys on the day that this comes out at 6 p.m. on Twitter now known as X. So go listen to that interview. That should be an interesting one because Tucker's asking some very interesting questions there. Right now, if we read this article and continue reading it, it says that you're just a guy in town for the night and it sounds like you're looking to party. Goes on and reads what we just listened to. He went on to suggest that his allegations would have been taken more seriously by those in power if the media really cared about telling the truth. Sinclair first made the allegations against Obama in 2008 in the middle of the then-Senator in the middle of the then-senator from Illinois' presidential run, and soon released a book. He was offered $100,000 by WhiteHouse.com to pass a polygraph, but failed, and proceeded to suggest the sponsors of the test had been bribed. Ooh, that's interesting. As Politico reported at the time, Sinclair was a, has a long criminal history and 13 known aliases. Many of his offenses include elements of fraud and deceit. During a recent appearance on The Adam Carolla Show, Carlson acknowledged Sinclair's past, but nonetheless said he believed that the allegations were true. Then it says, this is a breaking story. It's, it's really not. This has been out since 2008. <laughs> Let's see if we can find more on these allegations here as they come out. 
So he says, the man who claims, and then let's go ahead and click this. It says, Tucker Carlson says Barack Obama had gay sex, smoke crack, and media ignored it ahead of an election. And this was, let's see, and the timing on this, August 30th, so not too long ago. Uh, on Wednesday, Tucker Carlson said that despite it being really clear that Barack Obama w- was both having sex with other males and smoking crack, people all over the media neglected to report on the topic before the 2008 presidential election. Carlson discussed the allegations surrounding Obama's lifestyle, which originally came from a man named Larry Sinclair on Wednesday as he spoke on the Adam Carolla show. And here's the clip from that. You know, everybody I knew, the world I lived in, in Northwest D.C., like everyone works either directly for the government or is a, a parasite on government effectively, including people I love and know really well. And the media is, too, by the way. I mean, the media is reporting on government, but it's also dependent on government. You know, in 2008, it became really clear that Barack Obama had been having sex with men and smoking crack. And a guy came forward, Larry Sinclair, and said, I'll sign an affidavit. And he did. I'll take a lie detector. And he did. I smoked crack with Barack Obama and had sex with him. Well, that was obviously true. Nobody reported it, not because they were squeamish about sex or drugs, but because the Obama campaign said anyone who reports on this gets no access to the Obama campaign. And so they didn't report on it. So that happens. That's just one small example. But that happens all the time with lots of different issues. Now, and do you, do you so, believe that transpired or do you believe the guy is legitimate or both? Oh, the Larry Sinclair story? Oh, that definitely happened. Oh, for sure. I mean, I've talked to Larry Sinclair about it. And, oh, definitely it happened. I mean, if you – Larry Sinclair has been in and out of prison during one period, I mean, you know, 40 years ago, he was in and out of prison. He's got a criminal record by definition. He's, you know, poor. He's got a disordered life. He's missing a tooth. Like, he's not, you know, an Atlantic fellow. He's not going to the Aspen Ideas Festival. I think he has a record of deception. Obviously, he does. But this story, if you listen to it in detail, is clearly true. I mean, there's just I'm going to do an interview with him and you can hear it. And again, it's not going to change the world that Barack Obama likes dudes. I think this was well known. Barack Obama said so himself in a letter to his girlfriend. And by the way, that's kind of Barack Obama's business. I'm not attacking him for for liking dudes. I'm just saying the amount of lying in the media about it was unbelievable. Like people knew this was true and it was quite obviously true at the time. And People who covered the campaign didn't say anything about it because they didn't want to lose access to the campaign. And and that happens all the time up and down government. So it's, it's almost like if you have a housekeeper, you think, oh, you know, she works for me. But if you have a housekeeper long enough, you realize, well, you actually work for her and you get caught up in her dramas. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, th- there's a weird dynamic where you, you switch places d- d- with people. In. No, and, and uh, by the way, fire her abruptly and she'll write a tell-all book about exactly. Tucker at home. That's exactly right. And, you know, we, we don't even have a full-time housekeeper, so, like, that's not going to be an issue for me. But the point is, you think you're holding government accountable, but actually they're controlling you. That That's really the dynamic in Washington. But, you know, you're living in the soup and it's hard to see it at work and This is a long way of saying the conclusions I've reached are middle-aged conclusions. That's a lot of it. It's just that I've gotten older, and you can't see certain things when you're younger. And it's like young people, you'd think they'd be the most open-minded of all. They're the least open-minded because they're afraid of the future. So they want to believe whatever storyline they've been fed is true. 
like the only problem with America is white supremacy and like our tax system is fair and Kennedy was assassinated by a lone gunman or whatever. They don't <laughs> want to un, they don't want to face like the terrifying unknown and complexities of the actual world we live in, the reality of life, which is like we have no freaking idea wow. what's going on, actually. They don't want to admit that. Hmm. Interesting. I'd like to see maybe if there's any other interviews that we could watch really quick on Larry Sinclair. So let me go ahead and pull that up and we'll watch some of those. But I, I don't know if I disagree with him, although I disagree with maybe the premise of of the reasoning behind it. Let's see. Larry Sinclair Obama. All right. So I got that pulled up and ready to go. And here's to what I, I agree with Tucker Carlson on. Like, who cares if Barack Obama's gay? In fact, they, he would have been even more celebrated being the first not only black but also gay president ever. So why why hide it? You know, maybe because it gives merit to the idea that Michelle Obama is actually a, a, a man. <laughs> the, the, the conspiracies surrounding that. And also, I, you know, going back in time in my head, there was actually somebody that I, I knew that was you know, and this sounds hokey and like, you know, you hear all these people say this stuff like, oh, I knew some guy who was really high up in military, da, 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 and da, but I, I, I was aware of somebody who I used to work around and he stated that he used to work security detail and this guy's legit. He, he knows, he knows lots of people and, and he's, it was very, very, everything that, that sounds hokey, right? Very high up in special forces and ended up working security details for the president or presidential campaigns and all of that stuff. And he said that he, he met and, and did security for Michelle Obama. And he actually gave some merit to the idea of that conspiracy. So I don't know what to say about it. I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying I knew a guy who said that he knew that that might be the case. That's all I'm saying. Now, you know, the whole hokey special forces high up thing, that's legit though. This guy was like one of the most legit dudes I've ever met. So pretty crazy. I, I won't say his name because, uh, you know, all that, you know, got to make it more hokey. But uh, yeah, anyway, so let's go ahead and watch this video here. Larry Sinclair, ex-girlfriend of Barack Obama, says she had the letter. So that's who it was. It wasn't an assistant. It was his ex-girlfriend who said that he wanted to make love to men. Do with that what you please. Who cares? Honestly, you know, the the general public would have celebrated him even more. That's why I'm not sure why the why they wouldn't have just came right out and, and said that. But interesting stuff. Let's go ahead and watch the Sinclair video here. Because this is way back in the day when he did this in 2000, way back in the day, 2008. In regards to the Obama incident, I flew out of Colorado Springs, Colorado to Chicago on November 2nd, 1999 arriving in O'Hare early in the morning of November 3rd. Yo, I'm just saying how he's explaining this. It sounds very natural. But why would you make up something like this? Right. Oh, so people are. Larry Sinclair. Let's see. Hmm. On the stand, because that's where he's sitting at. It looks like in a courtroom. Here we go. Here's the video from Larry Sinclair, 15 years ago this was posted. Uh, Mr. Sinclair, could you explain why, if this incident happened in 1999, you waited until 2007 or 2008 to come forward? It's a question of credibility, sir. Why didn't you come forward back in 
1999 or 2000. Well, number one, in seem like a little bit of a con man, I'll say that. A bad one. Would you be willing to share your mental health records with the public? Actually, I'm going to post later this afternoon a list of all of my doctors going back through all of my medical records that are available through 1999. Anyone with valid, legitimate press credentials that wants to check my mental health history, I will be more than willing to sign an authorized medical release for that person. Will we get more than 30 minutes? Huh? More than 30 minutes? More than 30 minutes of what? What the documents? Well, actually, if, you, if, if you're valid press and you want me to release my psychiatric records, I'll release them to you as long as you pay for them. I have nothing to hide. Good. It was a joke. It was about the king in 30 minutes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you can tell where I'm at today. <laughs> Mr. Uh, yes, Mr. St. Clair, uh, will you state whether you had sexual relations with any other politicians here today? Actually, has come up with Larry, Senator Larry Craig. For the record, I have not been engaged or involved with any other politician. <laughs> in fact, at the time that I met Senator Obama, uh, I had no idea that he was actually in Illinois politics. What a question. Well, Let's see how long this press conference is. Nine minutes. Why did you change your name so long? Well, first of all, in my younger years, I was concerned. So why did you change your name so often? So there was what Tucker alluded to. There's like 13 aliases of this man. He had a history of deceit, right? He, he seems like the way that he's speaking, you, you can tell he's a little bit of a con man. Now, that doesn't completely discredit his claim, but it does a little bit. It does a little bit. Although it, this completely backs up what Obama said himself to his ex-girlfriend, who had no reason to out him. <laughs> 
to, in, you know, the, the letter that he wrote to her. Here's the most watched portion of this. interesting guy. Let's see if there's anything else on this that we find of merit until we move. Let's see. David Cross. I snorted co- cocaine with Obama. Hmm. Obama and gay marriage said I struggle with this. Larry Sinclair's lawyer talks about his genitalia. <laughs> How do you not watch that one, folks? Actually, I'm wondering, Mr. Sibley, why you decided to take this on. And, and it's been reported that you've been disbarred in the state of Florida. I'm wondering if you're, you're a part of the bar in D.C. I'm happy to answer those questions as I expected they would come up. I have been suspended by the Florida Supreme Court on March 7, 2008. Suspension was a result of me being too litigious and allegedly not paying child support. That matter is now pending at the United States Supreme Court. But as a result, I have been reciprocally suspended by the District of Columbia Bar and the Federal District Court in the District of Columbia without an opportunity for a hearing or an opportunity to present my side of that story. There is on the website 147 pages which documents what's going on in my particular professional life and it really isn't the subject of what's going on here today. But if you're curious, you know, it's a good read. I, I 
encourage you to read it. Is it, is it fair for me to inquire about the kilt also? <laughs> you certainly can. I may seem odd to you, but I don't know why the men wear pants, but I think it's a, it's a function of male genitalia size. And if you're normal or small, <laughs> pants probably aren't uncomfortable, but those of us at the other end of the cannot be. Excuse me, can I say something on your question to the kilt? Just, just, just. Actually, I asked him to wear a suit and tie, and he said, why should he be uncomfortable? And I said, because you're paid to be uncomfortable. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> not about Obama. That was about the lawyer wearing a kilt. So this this looks like a clown show, folks. Whether or not this is true or not, <laughs> this man is an absolute mess. So, you know, let's, let's, let's take everything he's saying here, maybe with a grain of salt after seeing that he hired a lawyer who was disbarred. And war kilt. I don't know. I'll, I'll <laughs> I will have to watch this Tucker Carlson interview after all of this because this is not <laughs> not what I was expecting out of these videos. This just looks like an absolute clown show. All right, let's see. Anything else? Anything else? Anything else? Does not look like it. And if there is, YouTube's hiding it. All right, so one of the next things we'll watch here is Jean, Jean-Pierre, Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, getting asked about President oh, President Biden. I almost said O'Biden. President Biden, which according to some people is actually who's running this country still, which would make much more sense than Biden doing it and would actually make everybody feel a little bit better. But let's watch this video. It's hilarious. Thank you, Corrine. President Biden is the oldest president in U.S. history. Why does White House staff treat him like a baby? No one treats the president of the United States, the commander-in-chief, like a baby. So there's this book that says That's ridiculous. when staff ridiculous back claim. what sounded like a call for regime change in Russia, the president, quote, rather than owning his failure, he fumed to friends about how he was treated like a toddler. Was John Kennedy ever babied like that? So look, uh, I'll say this. There's going to be a range, always, a range of books that are about every administration, as you know, that's going to have a variety of claims. That is not unusual. That happens all the time. And we're not going to litigate those here. That's something that we're not going to speak to. There is one thing that I do want to, because I think I was asked this question last week by one of your colleagues about this particular excerpt that they were referring to. And so. Okay, so I'll just reiterate the point here is that. Somebody wrote in a book an excerpt from something that Biden said, which was that they treat me like a toddler. Did they treat John F. Kennedy like a toddler? Hmm. Well, John F. Kennedy wasn't riddled with dementia. But so that, that was the idea is that oh, Biden was frustrated with the idea that he's being treated like a child. So Ducey just calls it out to Corrine Jean-Pierre and she's now initially tries to, you know, frivolously throw off the claim before he actually mentioned the excerpt from the book about him saying this. But watch how she basically says nothing other than a lot of people say a lot of things about stuff in books and we can't confirm nor deny anything that was said and, you know, maybe you should stop asking dumb questions. And we're not going to litigate those here. That's something that we're not going to speak to. There is one thing that I do want to, because I think I was asked this question last week by one of your colleagues about this particular excerpt that they were referring to. And so I'll say this, you know, 
we did see the excerpt, excerpt go, the context uh, of the excerpt, and it seemed to be making the opposite overall point about how the value of his experience and wisdom resulted in rallying the free world against authoritarianism, which is important. We have seen this. You all have seen this. And passage of the most historic paper, agenda in way. recent history in his handling of foreign policy, like rallying the world around Ukraine, as you just heard from our national security, national security advisor, who laid out in really good questions that your colleagues asked about how the president is moving forward, about Ukraine about kind of leading into these conversations that he's going to be having at the G20. Why do you think it is that in the Wall Street Journal poll, two-thirds of Democrats think President Biden is too old to run again? Look, here's what I know. Here's what I can speak to. I can speak he's to so that wise. a president who has wisdom. I can speak to a president who has experience. I can speak to a president who has done historic, has taken historic action and has delivered in historic pieces of legislation. And that's important. When the last guy who was in this, in the Oval Office, talked about infrastructure week, it was a joke. And the president passed a pretty important piece of legislation in a bipartisan way because of his wisdom, because of his experience. And now we have infrastructure decade. And it doesn't stop there. It starts last week. We talked about how the president beat Big Pharma, something that <laughs> Elected officials oh, he beat it. it's and gone. politicians have been trying to do for 33 years, and he's been he able to do that. And we introduced 10, the first tranche, the, f the first 10 drugs that Medicare can now negotiate on, right? And it's going to save money for our seniors, for Americans across the country. The, the gentleman that introduced the president, Stephen, who's 71 years old, paying $16,000 a month, $16,000 a month just to stay alive because he had cancer Notice this rambling when the question was, how do you feel about two-thirds of the Democrats in the country feeling like Joe Biden is too old to run? She turns it into this. And diabetes. And he cannot retire because he's because he has to pay $16,000 a month. And because of the work that this president has done, he doesn't have to do that anymore. And I'll say one last thing. I know you have a follow-up, probably about five more, but let me just say this one last thing, is that... The interesting thing about this is that the president has done these historic pieces of legislation, whether it's the bipartisan infrastructure legislation, whether it's the American Rescue Plan, whether it's Chips and Science Act, whether it's the Infl Inflation Reduction Act. There are some Republicans, right, in the House, in the Senate, that did not vote for any of these legislations that I just laid out, who go back to their state, go back to their district, and take credit for something that the president did. So this is not unusual. They did this in 2019, they did this in 2020, and the, they did this in 2022, and the president continues to prevail. I don't see how that answers that question at all. But what's probably the most infuriating the thing for her to say there is that Joe Biden just, he beat Big Pharma. We know that. He beat Big Pharma. It's been done. It took 33 years for people trying to do this, but he beat Big Pharma. No, you didn't. Big Pharma's making record profits. They've been making record profits during the entirety of his presidential campaign. Everything, everything he's done has helped Big Pharma from shutting down the country to enacting, you know, vaccine mandates. It's a winter of, of death and destruction or whatever the hell he said about people during COVID. So funny. So Anyways, the the last thing we're going to discuss here is going to be that the the January 6th situation, okay? 
so there's been four people now found guilty during from January 6th, all of them related to the Proud Boys. There was, I believe, one or two more today, leading to maybe five or so members getting actual indicted and charged with crimes. And what we're seeing from this is that these people are being charged with exorbitant amount of jail time over these frivolous, seemingly frivolous actions. I, I, I just cannot see any violent crime going on here. So let's read this article. It comes from NBC that says four members of the far-right Proud Boys organization were found guilty Thursday of seditious conspiracy in connection with January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Enrique Tario, Joseph Biggs, Ethan Nordin, and Zachary Rail were found guilty on the, of the rare charge of seditious conspiracy under a Civil War-era statute. Wow, that's how far they had to reach back. A Civil War-era statute. Dominic Pizzola, another member of the group, was found not guilty of seditious conspiracy. Terrio, Biggs, Nordin, and Rail were also found guilty of conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, while U.S. District Judge Timothy Kelly declared a mistrial on the count that Pizzola, after the trial, said it could not come to an agreement. All five Proud Boys members were charged with nine counts in connection with the attack on January 6th, while Pizzola, who was caught on video smashing in a window with the Capitol Police shield during the breach and who admitted it to his behavior on the stand, was separately charged with a 10th count of stealing the police shield and found guilty Thursday. Pizzola was also found guilty of assaulting, resisting, and impeding certain officers, while four other defendants were acquitted of that charge. The jury reached only a partial verdict, and Kelly declared a mistrial on several other counts, which did not come to a conclusion. The, mis the trial unfolded about for over about four months, with jury selection beginning in December and opening arguments starting in early January. It was the third seditious conspiracy case to go before jurors since the Capitol attack. Six members of the far-right Oath Keepers group, including founder Stuart Rhodes, were convicted on that charge across two trials in November and January. Jeremy Bertino, a high-level member of the Proud Boys who pleaded guilty to the seditious conspiracy in October, testified for the prosecution in his latest trial as part of a plea deal, telling jurors that Proud Boys believed they had to do anything that was necessary to save the country. Hmm. Prosecutors argued the Proud Boys were thirsting for violence on January 6th and had organized in advance to stop certification of President Joe Biden's win by any means necessary, including by force. Defense attorneys countered that the Justice Department was using the group as a scapegoat for the real person to blame for January 6th, Donald Trump. Two defendants, this is where it gets a little bit more interesting, two defendants testified at the trial, Rail, the head of the organization's Philadelphia chapter, and Pizzola, a floor installer from New York who members of the organization called SPAS, just before Rail was set to be cross-examined online slew surface videos that appeared to show him deploying a can of pepper spray towards officers. Rail, who was not charged with assaulting police, denied it at trial. Pizzola got heated on the stand, bringing up conspiracy theories, conspiracy theories, about another January 6th participant, Ray Epps, who seemingly is nowhere getting charged while saying, let's go into the Capitol, and ranting about the fake charges in the phony trial. The biggest challenge prosecutors faced, you know, let's see if you can actually get those clips, maybe. That would be interesting. Of course, we will probably not be able to. Hmm. Nope. Let's see if we can at least get the quotes. Our plans were maybe to storm the liquor store. That was it. 
Yeah. Interesting. 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 But what's crazy about this? What's the craziest thing going on here is that this guy, that this, what was his name? What was the name there? Fizzola, not Pizzola, but Rail. Rail, I believe, got 22 years in prison for this situation. Now, what I believe, I believe he was the one who was not even there at the time of actually storming the Capitol, storming the Capitol, right? So they're they're taking, and there was another guy that I saw on Twitter earlier. I don't think I'll find it right now, but he got a year and seven months just for being there and walking through the building, a year and seven months in jail, while the head of the Proud Boys got 22 years while he was not even present at the time of them having this museum tour, right? Not even present at the time. So it seems like all too convenient that at the same time the Justice Department is being weaponized against the former president of the United States, he's it's also being weaponized against the very people who had any sort of support for him during this event, right? Now, we all know Donald Trump's very likely just going to get off on all charges, but these guys, these guys with real lives, Marine Corps veteran, families, friends, not billions of dollars are going to suffer immensely for this. 22 years in prison this guy got for January 6th, and he was not even there. Think about his wife. Think about his children. Think about his friends and his family and his future is gone. And this guy's like an older dude. He's not, he's not super young. 22 years. There's rapists and murderers who get off with less time in their conviction than this guy just got for not even being present, for saying words on social media. It's crazy. So we'll see this play out. But now we know, right? Just... You, you got to be smart about the way that you go about these things. You know, use your voice and and definitely don't run into the Capitol, no matter how many FBI agents tell you to do it. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you from the bottom of my heart. Have a wonderful day. I love you. I'll see you next time. Peace. Adam's Archive.